0: So we're in Ephesians 4, and we're going to start in verse 17. If you got your notebooks, I encourage you to take them out. Uh, We are calling this message the likeness of God, and you will see why as we continue to engage in this section of Scripture. Uh, So verse 17, we're going to jump right in. Now this I say. um, Now this I say, there is no difference between that and the word therefore, right? Now this I say implies Everything that's about to happen is predicated upon what came before it. Now, I'm saying this because, and then he's going to continue. And then now this, I say, is actually drawing us back all the way to Ephesians 4.1. Right? Which Ephesians 4.1 is live a life worthy of your calling. What is that calling? He called us. He taught us in Ephesians 4, 2 to 16, which was our last several messages. He taught us what it means to live a life worthy of your calling. See, Paul didn't just say live a life worthy of your calling and move on. He taught you what it meant. And here's what it meant if we go through verse 2 to 16. It means to be unified in Christ. That is your calling. To walk in your gift and build the body your way and three, and to look more like Jesus. If you remember our last few messages, we really broke those three things down. Because when Paul, we are still in this concept of living a life worthy of our calling. And again, I encourage you to listen back to the last few podcasts to see how unified we're supposed to be where the Bible says one God, one baptism, one spirit, the same knowledge and understanding of God. Or as Jesus says, Father, make them one as you and I are one. And for Trinitarians, that's a big one because we believe God and the Father. We believe the Father and Jesus Christ are actually one. And then we see that Paul continues to show us that though we are supposed to be united, how do we stay united? We stay united by walking in our gifts and recognizing each other as gifts. Right? That was last week. You are a gift to the body. Mm -hmm. Amen? Amen? You matter. You're part to play in the body is important um, the the old way of doing church in this big church setting it has created people who in who spectate in other people's callings but don't walk in their own and, and so on Boulevard that's not that's not the dream right that's not the goal that's not, uh, it's not here to be like, wow, Pastor West is really smart. Or, wow, Pastor Thomas really knows his Bible. Or, wow, Pastor Eric really can throw down and bring fire. And, oh, wow, Pastor John, when he prophesies, it's on point. It's like, yeah, we're the pastors. We have our role. But you have a role that is equal in importance. Yes, and if you don't realize that, and also, if I don't realize that. The church can never walk in the fullness of what it's supposed to be. And what will happen is a pandemic will hit the church. And instead of the church exploding and meeting that head on, the church will fall apart and shrink as we've seen. Because spectator Christianity produces terrified Christians or weak Christians. It's like, I don't know, man. I can break down the Bible pretty well, but but so can John and Isaac. Right? I've heard Nicole do it. I know she can do it real well. Mm -hmm. Josh Butler got up Mm -hmm. at his wedding and preached the gospel to an entire crowd. Shout out to that guy. Enjoy your honeymoon. Hallelujah. (laughs) We all know Will Perry can preach the gospel. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? That's his wife. She shouted. You know what I'm saying? But you matter. And to be quite honest, I can't look more like Jesus if you're not pushing me just as much as I'm pushing you as a pastor. Oh, pastor Chris gave us a word on our two-year anniversary. And the word went like this. He, he, he said it to me. He said, I see you leading in the middle of your people. And I have pretty much said this from the start of this church. I don't want to be a pastor of a church, I want to be a pastor in a church, and that is so crucial to us as a body, because this thing has never been about Pastor Wes's vision. To be honest, if a pastor is like, you got to follow the vision of the church, that doesn't make sense to me because we're all supposed to be following Jesus' vision. And so to me, it's kind of nonsensical. Of like, why do you get to supersede? You never hear Paul say, follow my vision. He says, here's the gospel that's presented to me by Jesus Christ and the apostles. And then he begins to lead people in that direction because we should all have the exact same vision. Right? And that vision goes a little something like this. We should all be drawing closer to Jesus Christ as individuals and as a community. We should all be drawing closer to one another. And we should all be reaching the lost and broken and bring them into that cycle of growing closer to God and closer to the community until this world is overtaken for the gospel. I have become more and more convinced that the reason I do believe in the rapture, not everyone does. It's fine, but I've become more and more convinced that the reason why the rapture is going to happen is not because the church will be so beaten down in the corner that God needs to come and rescue us. I'm convinced that we will be so powerful that God has to remove us because it's time for Him to do His wrath. Right? I am. I'm just. I do not see in Scripture. I do see persecution. Right? But the thing that blows my mind is I've never seen someone read the Book of Acts and be like, "Wow, the church is defeated." But they are persecuted, but they're empowered every single time. So how come in this end times, though there's promise of persecution, why aren't we just as powerful? Right? Again, it doesn't make sense to me. God doesn't give us a command and be like, but you're not going to be able to fulfill it, so I'm going to come rescue you later. Right? He said, go out and make disciples of all the nations and baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Why? Because we will be able to do those things. We will do it in power, and we will do it in courage. But if we make it about this platform... We won't do it, right? And this is what Paul is getting into. The church is not weak. Again, she won't get so beat down by the world that Jesus Christ has to come and save us. She's going to get moved out of the way because she's too powerful. Because she's the bride of Christ. And we are the body to the head. Is the body of Christ weak? Then why do you think it's weak in the end times? It doesn't make sense. It doesn't make, like they don't fit together well. God is too good and he's too strong and he's too powerful. And the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. So how can we believe the gates of hell are going to prevail against the church in the end times? Even though Jesus Christ promised us the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. You are empowered by God. And the gates of hell will not prevail against you. And I've said it a thousand times, gates Do not take ground gates defend because the church is on the offense, not defense. Hell has its gates up because, like, oh, my God, they're coming. They're coming. They're coming. And that's us. Right? So preach the gospel to your family and preach the gospel to your friends and preach the gospel to that weird guy in the corner. No one look in the corner, right? I'm not talking about in the building right now. Tina's like, oh, my God. I'm just kidding. (laughs) It's the first corner I saw. Um, (laughs) Preach it to everyone. And it will not return back to you void. So that's the therefore, right? Uh, Now I testify in the Lord. Here's Paul walking in his authority, right? I'm not testifying the vision of Paul. This is the Lord. That you must no longer walk as Gentiles do. In the futility of their minds. I mean, just once you keep going. Ready, Deacon, Chad, you and me. We're going to go places together. Right. They are darkened in their understanding. All right, these are heavy words, but we're going to get to the good stuff, I promise. Uh, alienated from life of God because of ignorance that is in them. Alienated because of ignorance. Just ignorant, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Um, no? Yeah, hallelujah. Um, but here's the thing. Something I want to draw your attention to, all these negative things that we're reading, these are all the things that came into the world because of the fall. So all the things we're reading are the opposite of the first Adam. And therefore the opposite of the greater second Adam. Right? Um, because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of hearts. Listen to me. A hard heart is a pagan Gentile thing. It is not a Christian thing. Men cry in Christianity. You know what I'm saying? If Aragorn can cry over Boromir, I can cry over my son in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. All right. Let's keep moving. They have become Callous. And have given themselves up sensuality. sensuality? That's what Thomas told me. Sensuality. 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 Greedy to practice every kind of impurity. I love that. Greedy. Just like an overindulgence. Think Oscar Wilde. Right? Think of Dorian Gray. The man who indulged so much of his own life that he died of a really terrible disease that comes from overindulging. Uh, Verse 20. But that is not the way you learned Christ. Because everything I just mentioned before is a lie, but Christ is truth. Assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him, that not taught of him, taught in him. As the truth is in Jesus. Truth is one of the ultimate pursuits of a Christian. But truth is not an abstract concept. Truth is a person. That's right. And his name is Jesus. And it is found in his character. It is found in his likeness. Which is why we call the message the likeness of God. Put off your old self. That'll preach. Which belongs to your former manner of life. And is corrupt through deceitful desires. And be renewed in the spirit of your minds. That could mean a heart. And put on the new self. Created after the, this is where I got the title for the message, by the way. Created after the likeness of God, hallelujah, uh, in true righteousness and holiness. Righteousness means right standing with God. Holiness means right acting before God. And so he's saying, be the thing and act like the thing, right? You can never attain true holiness without righteousness. But the Bible says that I am the righteousness of God through Christ Jesus. So again, my righteousness is not dependent on me, my goodness, my awesomeness, how, how hard I sought out God. But if you remember earlier in Ephesians, it said, For God shows you before the foundations of the earth. Yeah. We've already talked about that. Paul has already established who found who. Yeah. All right. So I have a thesis question for you, and we're going to break into three points, and hopefully we'll just end it right there. Uh, I have a question for you guys. Um, ready? What does it mean to look like Christ? Because everything we broke down is actually a really great breakdown of what it means to look like Christ. Uh, not only what does it mean to look like Christ, but I think a better question might be, how do I look like Christ? Paul shows us how to look like Jesus. And This is really funny. By showing us how not to look like Jesus in this section of scripture. Right? So verse 7 and 18, Paul starts to talk about the mind of a Gentile. Because, again, the first step is the mind or the heart or the inner man or the inner you, right? Again, the Bible has a lot of words for it, but it's all kind of the same thing. The soul, uh, the inner man. uh, And he says to not have a mind like the Gentiles because then the implication is we should have a mind like Christ, right? Uh, Without Jesus, our minds are, and this is according to Paul, right? Without Jesus, our minds are futile, darkened. Alienated, ignorant, and hardened. Again, I want to say that one more time because it sounds it sounds mean. Um, our minds are futile. And that means oh, I'll tell you what that means in a second, I actually have the whole breakdown for you. They are darkened, so they cannot exist in the light. They are alienated as in foreign to God and his presence. They are ignorant and there's no wisdom in them. They're hard, hard-heartedness, anger, the inability to forgive. If you look at someone, you just get angry. You know that person that when you're in the shower by yourself and you're showering and you have an argument with them and you beat them soundly in front of all the shampoo bottles and everywhere, and there's probably witnesses that are like, wow, that person, like you got him." You know that person, that hardness you have towards them, it's not God. So quit arguing with me. You know what I'm saying? I'm just kidding. I, you know. That word futility is the one that I really want to draw attention to. Because in the Greek, it means. Yeah. I don't know how to pronounce that. I make this joke all the time. And people tell me not to. But let's do it again. Uh, see the skin tone? I can't pronounce crazy words like that. I got nothing in me. I'm too white for this. Tetti. Uh, Right. Here's what you do. You go to Blue Letter Bible, you go to Logos and you click the button and it'll read it to you and let it let it read it to you and let 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 the word just speak to you. But that word means void of useful aim or goal. So, again, pagan minds are minds with no direction. You ever felt aimless, directionless? I love that that word for sin also means to miss the mark. There tends to be this concept of I just can't quite stay on the path when related to sin, when related to, to paganism, or related to a lack of godliness, right? But the question isn't what does a pagan mind look like? I think a better question is, well, how do I not think like an ungodly person? Because my mind is hard often. My heart is hard towards people often. My mind is futile often. It is aimless. I don't know what I'm called to be. I, I believe I'm, I'm gung-ho for a calling and then two weeks later I'm called to do something else. And every time God has so assured me that that is the call in my life. And I'm not listening to him. I think this word for futility, Matt, toy, teddy, or whatever the heck it is, I'm gonna stop trying to say it. Um, that word is in the Bible twice, uh, two other times besides this as a noun. And it is used one more time as a verb. And I think that verb usage actually shows us the answer to how to have a mind like Christ. It's very simple. Romans 1, 21. And again, we're using that same verb for that word futile. And it says here, for although they knew God, they did not. Honor him. What have I been just ragging on lately? You know what I'm saying? Uh, They did not honor him or give thanks to him, but they become futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. It's a different book of the Bible, and here's Paul again. Futile, foolish thinking, hearts darkened. He's using the same language, right? Because it's the same writer, and it's the same God communicating something to us. So what guards my heart from darkness, and what guards my heart from anger and callousness? Honor and thankfulness. I know that can, that can seem complicated, but here's a verse that Christians like to use a lot. They'll talk about how God says, my thoughts are not your thoughts, and my ways are not your ways. But then if you go study that section out, literally God is saying, but my people Israel know my ways. And that verse he was saying to pagans who didn't know God and his law. Quit applying that verse to you. Right. See, that's the thing is like this, this counterfeit type of Christianity of like, oh, I don't think like God thinks. The Bible says put on the mind of Jesus. You're supposed to think like God thinks. Don't lower this bar. Right. Raise the bar right back up that I can actually have the mind of Christ because his ways are not my ways and his thoughts are my, my thoughts. Then that means I am pagan. <laughs> right. But I'm not. I know Jesus and I love him and I have moments of weakness, moments of failure, moments where I do not live up to the standard. But that is not who I am. Who I am as beloved and who I am as a child of God. And hear me, who I am as forgiven. And this kind of gets practical, right? Honor is a practical thing. It means just giving weight to. It means during worship, I'm not texting. Pastor Wes, quit talking about that thing, quit texting, right? Uh, It means during worship, I'm not texting. It means when I'm reading the Bible, I'm not actually thinking about what I'm going to do after I'm reading the Bible. I'm engaging with what I'm reading. Yeah. It means in the place of prayer, I'm not praying and then going and checking Facebook and continuing to pray and then going back and checking my messages and I'm still texting while I'm going back and forth because there's no weight to that. There's no weight to who you're placing your affections on. Amen. Try to have a conversation with me where you really bear your soul and if every five minutes I was like, yep, mm, yep, no, yep oh man, that's, that's crazy, wild, right? You wouldn't feel respected. <laughs> Have you ever been driving in your car and you turned the worship down to engage with Jesus? Like, sometimes worship gets in the way, right? Yeah, let's face it, because sometimes we're listening to worship, we're on the stage and everyone's watching us saying worship, and I worship. <laughs> right? I'm, I'm putting the weight of honor on myself. Just because I'm singing the right words does not mean that there's weight, right? Because hear me, our, our minds, our hearts, their default is to avoid God. We're all in the same boat. Notice I just said a bunch of things and people laughed. It's like, oh, yeah, I do that all the time. We are all the same fundamentally. And it, that honor is like an intentional. I'm honoring God intentionally because sometimes it's not easy. This, uh, this I was on a vacation. We were up in Utah. And people were texting uh, me and my wife all kinds about stuff. Like, oh, can we do this? Can we do that? Can we help with this. Hey, can you? And I'd be like to my wife, I'm like, hey, why didn't you text back to that person? And She kept saying, oh, my phone's off. I'm not. Am I using it? Right? She was. She was gonna get her break. Right? Which is which is f- smarter than what I was doing. That's why like the last two days I was like, hallelujah. But then I watched Game of Thrones. I don't know if that balances out or not. <laughs> um, Um, but same with thankfulness. You know, there are actually people on this earth, and I am not always one of them, that actually wake up, and the first thing they say is, thank you, God. A thankful mind is not a darkened or hardened mind, right? But thankfulness is an intentionality. When your wife annoys you, or your husband annoys you, or your boyfriend, or your, who you want to be your boyfriend, or who God said was your your husband, but they're probably not, you know, that, that person, um... Oh, no, it it's happens more than it doesn't. Um, when they annoy you, a thankful mind is like, listen, that annoyed me. But but you start to think on the good things, right? You don't drive home and think about what they did wrong. You probably spend more time being grateful for them. Um, <laughs> the day my, my wife uh, did something. It was actually this morning. Um, she... She started yelling at me all crazy. I'm just kidding. Uh, so we got, we went not in an argument, but you know, like a tense conversation where it's like, brr, right? Um, and I just like, I'm like, this is so annoying, is what I said. I said it like that, like the head rub and everything, right? This is so annoying. And she looked at me and says, this, but I love you. And I was like, shut up, right? Uh, like, like, <laughs> like, like thankfulness uh, versus I want to be right right now. You know what I'm saying? Like, God, thank you for another day looking like I'm not going to be able to pay rent. This is not, by the way, I'm going to be fine, right? But I'm being you. Uh, (laughs) It's looking like I'm not going to pay rent, but God, I'm thankful because you've always provided. And so that thankful mind goes, wait a second. Thank you for always providing. You'll probably provide again. Right? How thankfulness checks our wayward hearts. Does that make sense? Honor the weight of God's presence. Unless, sometimes we don't honor God's presence in the most godly way possible. Think of Mary and Martha. Martha's doing work. Right? I'll, I'll tell my wife that all the time. Like it'll be like during worship and I see her like setting the coffee up still and I'm like, hey, it's too late. They don't get coffee anymore. Worship. <laughs> right? Right? Um, That doing things even for God can sometimes be a lack of honor. Because when when Mary sat at his feet and Martha's like, hey, make her help me serve you. God's like, "You're, you're doing it wrong. I'm not looking for a servant. I'm looking for someone to enjoy my presence. Honor. But the second thing we see is we see the practices of a pagan. Which is obviously for us is supposed to be the practices of Christ. Or as God said, those who love me will obey my commands. That's New Testament. That's not Old Testament. The commands are still just as important, right? But good thing those commands are like love your neighbor, love one another as I have loved you. Like now they're like, woo, kind of commands instead of like go kill the kidney of this creature and then eat it or something crazy. Kill the kidney. Destroy it. Um, Take the fatty lobe and, you know, like you better not be wearing two fabrics. Like, you know, it's, it's definitely more fun now. Except it's kind of not, because then, like, in the Old Testament, you didn't have to love that person. You just had to, like, apologize. But then Jesus is like, you said sorry, but you didn't mean it. You know what I'm saying? Like, he takes it deeper on the emotional level. Um, But uh, the practices of Christ. uh, The Bible specifically says, Paul says in verse 19, he says, because their minds were callous. He says they did all sorts of evil things. Right? That concept of as I think so I am. Right? Right? That is so very relevant in Christianity because the Bible tells us to put on the mind of Christ, and the mind of Christ leads us to the actions of Christ, right? Which is why Paul, which is why Jesus says, I did not come to clean the outside of the cup, because I came to clean the inside, and the outside will get clean as everything bubbles over. That's what he does to us. He doesn't, he's not so worried about are you acting right? The first thing is like, was that loving? Was that kind? You start to think negative thoughts towards people, and God's like, yeah, but, but is that how you should see that? And then it starts to lead to us actually forgiving. Why can't I forgive that person? Well, forgiveness is not this external action. It's an internal change. Because the minds were callous, their actions were evil. And so if we take Romans 121 and we say that honor and thankfulness lead to our minds being sensitive to God and tender towards him, then we would say that sensitive and tender people live like Christ. Does that make sense? My mind set begins to change my actions. And if... You think about a person and you think to them, how oh, their mindset really needs to change. It's probably not their mindset that needs to change. You ever hear a sermon and be like, well, I hope this person hears that? Ever happened to you? You need it bad. I think we can get so righteous in our own ways. Thinking that they owe me an apology. Well, they better act right. They better communicate better to me. They better talk right to me. And it's like, no, you're the problem. I'm not saying they're not also the problem. I'm saying here are the problem, right? Because that mindset will forever keep you away from growth in God. It'll keep you forever away from a healthy marriage, healthy friendships, healthy worship in the presence of the Lord. C.S. Lewis puts it this way, and we brought it for you. He says, what you see and hear depends a great deal on where you are standing, but it also depends on what sort of person you are, right? And I love that catch of like, how I perceive a moment, it depends, like who I am will predicate how I perceive that moment. So if I am an honoring and thankful person, I tend to respond more charitably to people and I tend to see the best even in worse situations. But then there are people who are darkened, dishonoring, unthankful, angry, maybe self-focused and selfish, that when someone could do something kind to you and your thought is like, what do they want, right? It's like, again, that's not what God's asking. He's asking for the actions to follow a mind set. And that mindset and those actions, they really come into fruition in the final section of scripture, which Paul hit in 20 to 24, which is that if we have the mind of Christ, we have the practices of Christ and people who think like Christ and act like Christ, what do they do? They look like Christ, right? And so to look like Christ is literally to think a certain way and it is to to act a certain way. But here's what I love about that. I want to tell you a story as I wrap up this sermon because the moral of this sermon is not, yeah, so you better think right, right? It's not, well, you better freaking act right now because now you heard how to do it. No, I think we're missing something greater. And this is the greater, that Paul says, uh, the mind and actions of Christ totally overtake our lives. Paul says, take off your old self. Is an action. And he says to put on the new self. Paul is teaching them, sorry, Paul isn't teaching the church how to act in that moment. He's teaching them what they already are, right? And I think this is the distinction. Christianity is not about shaking yourself free of your own sins. Now, yes, we should walk out our salvation with fear and trembling. Yes, we should seek to be holy and blameless before God. But were you ever able to be home, holy and blameless before Jesus came into your life? No, because it's a Jesus thing, right? And here's what I mean. Matthew 22, 1 to 14. We're not going to read it. I'm going I'm to talk about it. It's the story of a wedding. Right. And this this wedding actually came up at Joshua and Aaron. Joshua and Aaron. Wow. Hilarious. uh, Josh and Nicole's wedding. I was thinking because the next thing I was going to say was Sean and Aaron, the pastors, uh, they talked about a story uh, during the wedding and he told the story of this wedding. And this wedding's been on my mind all week. And the wedding is a king. His son's getting married. This parable isn't that parably because the God is the king and his son is getting married. Right. (laughs) Uh, And he invites people to the wedding, right, and when he invites people to the wedding, they don't come, they don't show up, shout out to the Jewish people, because that's who it's talking about, uh, right, again, Matthew 22, (laughs) Um, 1 to 14, right, and so the king looks around, and he says, fine, whatever, destroys them, but, you know, 70 AD, I'm got just right? Well, that was a prophecy, came true, all right? And afterwards he goes, well, we're gonna go out to the highways and the byways and we're gonna invite everybody to this wedding. And if the people I specifically invited don't wanna be here, that's fine. I will invite everyone and those who honor that invitation will have a place at that wedding with me, right? Shout out to the fact that you were in the highways and the byways and God sent people to you. You didn't come and find the wedding, hallelujah. God is good. Again, this was never about me. This is always about him, and it was never my strength. It was always his strength. So again, why is it your strength about acting right and thinking right, right? Now, there is some discipline to it of, oh, man, that was a bad thought. God, forgive me. You should talk to God about it. The Bible says that those who are poor in spirit will be blessed and will see his kingdom, right? But people are there. The wedding's awesome, and the king walks up to a dude, and the dude's not dressed right. Now now we're having problems, Right? (laughs) And he looks to him and he says, "What? why aren't you dressed right? And the guy just kind of stammers, that kind of thing, you know. And then the king binds him and destroys him, which is brutal if you think, okay, you found this guy on the street and you killed him for not dressing right. Now, as a Westerner, you look at that and you're like, that seems kind of messed up they kind of were stuck between a rock and a hard place because you killed the people who didn't show up. And now you killed this dude for showing up unprepared. (laughs) Here's the trick. Uh, Back in those days, if a rich king invited you to some kind of gathering and you were too poor to dress the part, it was the king's responsibility to give you the clothing, right? And so again, to us Westerners, we read that story and it just sounds unjust. But to an Easterner, the unjust thing was you went out of your way and you bought them a beautiful gown and they didn't put it on. That was the unjust thing. But here's the thing. How do I look more like Jesus? Well, the same way that this man looked more prepared for the wedding, right? The king provided the gown. So how do I look more like Jesus? The king has to provide that. The king puts it in your hands. You have to put it on, though. But the king provides it. How do I look more like Jesus? You got you to open your hand to what the king's putting in it. Why can't I overcome this sin? I don't know. Maybe we need to honor God more and get back on our knees and say, God, thank you. You have made a way for me. When we're talking about mindsets, we are dealing with nature, right? And so it's like the very nature of man was broken in the fall, but God... Made away, and he came and gave us a new gown. Paul calls it a new creation, a new thing. And again, the, this—the this, problem with this—is we look and we try to overemphasize. Okay, wait. I just put out my hands. What does that even mean? It means exactly what it sounds like. It means pray and it means seek God. It means starting worship, worship Him. It means wake up in the morning and read and get to know Him and open your hands to God and begin to have a relationship with Him. It means exactly what it sounds like. It means. It means this. You didn't earn it. You didn't work for it. You didn't deserve it. You were just invited, and so you were given it by the nature of the fact that you were invited. But directly after that, God says, many are called, but few are chosen. Because the likeness of God isn't just for the people who have had the likeness given to them. It's for the people who put it on. And there's see that line you have to walk, where all of this was provided. Thank you. You say the mind has to change. Why can't it change? Seek him more. You don't got to be perfect. God never expected that. Well, he did expect it. That's why his son had to do it. Mindset leads to action. Action becomes, over time, my character. Mindset leads to action. And over time, action becomes my very character. Right? you perpetually think negative, you're going to have to work at perpetually thinking positive. So what I would encourage you to do is seek the ever positive maker of your mind, maker of your heart, and maker of your soul. This whole thing has always been about Jesus. It's always been about seeking him. Amen. Does that, sorry I keep saying this, does that make sense? Because I think this topic can seem kind of contradictory. I think it's the beautiful thing about the supernatural, right, is sometimes things are kind of contradictory. I'm able to think right because God gives me the ability to think right. And as he gives me the ability to think better, I use that in order to think better, right? And it's just like this weird hodgepodge. But God is doing something in you. Continue to remain faithful to that. Continue just showing up. Continue just worshiping God on a Sunday. Get involved in a small group. Start talking to leaders and getting poured into. But also, and more important than any of that stuff, maybe set your alarm clock for 30 minutes sooner than you're supposed to wake up. Wake up and say thank you and seek God. Right? In this entire service, that communion, the prayer you saw, the worship, you literally got to see people seek God. So if you don't know what else to do, just do those things. Turn on a worship song. And don't go to the stage in your head, go on your face before the throne. Change the paradigm. Dear Lord in heaven, he who has ears, hear. God, when we come face to face with aspects of this walk that there's nothing we can do besides just lean into you and trust you, God, I pray you'd give us the faith to just lean. God, if the fruit of your spirit is faithfulness, then I can't be faithful until your spirit brings that out of me. So bring that out to all of us today, God. In Jesus' name, we thank you. Thank you that you found us. Thank you that you chose us. Thank you that you called us here to this place together as a body. God, I thank you for Boulevard Church and every member in it. And God, I pray all of us, we wouldn't become desensitized to how good we have it. We wouldn't fall for the trick that it's the grass is greener on the other side. That's yeah, just AstroTurf. God, thank you that here you're growing something real. And God, give us the faithfulness to, to till the land. And God, forgive us for not honoring your presence. For not appreciating your tenderness for letting our hearts become hardened. but God, I thank you that you've been so faithful to forgive. Soften the hardened heart. Brighten the darkened mind. Tenderize the man or woman who's too hurt to really feel. Thank you for welcoming in those of us who were once aliens. Bring us in. That we wouldn't have a foreign mindset, but we, our minds would continuously change to reflect the kingdom. And In Jesus' name I say, amen.